Okay, so for those of us who are preparing to go into the so-called world, um, seeing if we can do so without rushing forth and also without cringing, remembering that this awareness and metta heart that we have is not contained within this building. Just as once in South America I heard a man say that he'd given up Catholicism because the priest kept telling him that God lived inside the church and he saw less of God inside the church than outside. I don't think that's necessarily true here. This is a very special place. But at the same time, remembering that, um, as Mark so eloquently said last night, our heart is with us everywhere we go. Classically, metta practice is called, um, the meditation is often called bhavana, which means development. And the development of metta is not considered really complete unless the mental acts of metta are expressed and complemented by speech acts of metta, which are called vachikama metta, and physical acts of metta, which are called kayakama metta. And these things both express strengthen, develop, and complete the practice of loving-kindness. So that now that we have performed, as I made a very rough calculation, that um, amongst all the yogis on the retreat, we probably generated 252 million moments of metta (laughs) during these few days, and that even allows several people to have only done three or four in a day. So it's a pretty, it's a conservative (laughs) estimate. I'm thinking that um, we soon will have, in whatever ways, have developed at least 252 million more acts of metta. And when the word in um, Pali, kama, means both action and karma, so that um, these intentions and these efforts that we've put forth will also um, have their effects upon us and upon other people. So I won't be speaking very long because Mark really covered the topic so beautifully last night. Remembering that interconnection, as we've spoken a lot about the cave yogis, that we can also think about each other and about the presence of Insight Meditation Society and all the other yogis in the world, including ourselves. It's cave yogis are us here, so that... um, as each of us intends to pursue this metta practice, that in some sense we'll be offering it to one another. Along with the idea that metta is completed and strengthened by physical and verbal actions, um, we've had, I've had at least several teachers who really emphasized the practice of daily life and ordinary life to the extent that I once went to a retreat where in order to emphasize the importance of ordinary awareness, uh, for the first four days we were only allowed to meditate for one minute a day so that we wouldn't think that meditation was something different or more special. We just had to sort of be in the retreat place, and we came in for one minute. <laughs> and then he said, okay, stop meditating now and go out. And then later on it went up to, to it, by the end of the seven days, we were meditating two hours a day. But there was the distinction between meditation and Um, sort of non-meditation or real life was erased. Also, our teacher Punjaji used to take us to the zoo to just observe the animals there and just to do kind of ordinary things and go sightseeing and to try to sustain awareness in that way. It's really a wonderful thing. This morning I was reading in um, 
in the staff lounge that chopping wood and carrying water are the true miracles of the Buddha because the other miracles are only shown once in a while. But chopping wood and carrying water have been happening every day for hundreds of thousands of years, and these miracles are the really important ones. So let's remember that as we go into our lives and our ordinary relationships. This metta practice can really help us become more understanding of ourselves and other people. And if we sustain the understanding, it really helps us kind of sharpen and develop um, our lives so that we understand a little bit better how we are living when we can make kind of more refined choices and be a little bit more responsible for how we speak and behave and even how we think. There's the movie uh, that came out recently called I Heart Huckabees, which I recommend. It's kind of a Buddhist movie, in fact, where there's a young man who doesn't really understand kind of what's going on in his life or why things are happening, and he hires Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman as existential detectives to follow him around and try to help him understand things. And Lily Tomlin makes him sign a contract that she can take pictures of him in the bathroom or any other time. And he's like, really, any time? And she said, yes, well, otherwise, you know, we'll never figure it out. So... (laughs) These phrases can always begin to roll, and as we are sort of out in the world, there's always a chance to connect with other people, practice our loving kindness. There's also some kind of humble daily things that we can do to build in reminders that we are connected to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and to the heart of loving kindness at all times, because as we know, even here, it's quite easy to forget or to feel blocked Many of the people in this uh, retreat are already daily practitioners. There's really a high level of practice here, even for people who haven't been to IMS much before. But I think at the end of a retreat, it's often good if um, you kind of incline the mind to think about uh, some intention that you really can fulfill, even if it's to schedule your next retreat soon or to consider some kind of little daily increase in your practice. Something people do in traditional Buddhist countries that is not often practiced, I don't think, in the West, is to recite the refuges and precepts in the morning, sort of reminding ourselves that that we're taking a safe direction in our life. Also, in traditional countries, people spend um, Saturdays sometimes in practice um, or go to the monastery or feed the monks once a month. And many uh, big cities have places where you can do a day-long retreat once a month, which is great. If not, just tricks like taking an extra two minutes in bed in the morning before anyone really knows you're awake and connecting with yourself and just feeling maybe the love that you have for the people close to you and expanding that love to all beings can be wonderful. There's a story of a woman in Tibet who um, didn't have any time to practice, and that was her practice for many years, was lying there with her eyes shut before her husband and her children knew that uh, she was awake and practicing just for 10 minutes. So if you actually don't practice every day, 10 minutes can really change your day. There's also kind of extraordinary things that you don't know you're capable of, but um, there's a yogi who used to be here who uh, took an apartment right across from his law office so that his commute would be reduced. He said his vertical commute in the elevators is longer than his sideways commute so that he can practice more hours in a day. He's really made a big type of choice. You may also sort of try to intend to speak out against 
any form of injustice that you see in a loving way, racism or certain ways that people treat one another, if you can kind of find something to say. Or sometimes there's ways that one can intend to not say certain things that one is used to saying and keep quiet um, at times when one tends to blurt. I've been known to change sentences in the middle, like, um, you know, it really seems to me that... uh, we should go to a movie tonight, <laughs> you know, not like you really, whoa, 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 stuff like that. In general, the intention just to loosen up your bad habits slightly and bit by bit is the best. It's good if you feel like you can kind of keep your intention. Generally, to loosen all of our habit patterns a little bit is very liberating. Breathing a little love into the space that's left. And whether we live alone or in a family, It's good that on the moment of returning home to try to be really generous and open to sort of the difference in situation. It may need some extra effort, but if we're returning home to people who've been without us and they're in whatever mood they're in, um, it's good to make them feel happy that you've come back. (laughs) Um, And maybe there's the surgery rule about your retreat experiences that about 10 minutes is enough unless people really want to hear us more. (laughs) Our... um, But at the same time, our hearts may be quite sensitive and sort of things can seem jarring when you get back. And for this, remembering that um, metta is actually a great protection and that we ourselves are the source of loving kindness, um, not to feel so impinged upon. Metta really does have the power to protect our minds. And we've now been trained to generate it in all situations and in all directions. This is what we've been doing all week. So... At times, if we start to feel a little bruised, to see where the metta needs to go. If you and your relatives need something uh, to do together, there's the movie Chicken Run, which came out (laughs) in 2000, which is kind of a Dharma movie. Often, as a Buddhist teacher, I feel like we're like the the chickens who are trying to inspire the other chickens to escape from the farm where they're going to be turned into pies. Yes, you really can fly. You can fly. <laughs> Come on, just a little more flapping. <laughs> it's, really, it's really a great movie, and it's good for adults and kids. <laughs> like they do. Uh, well, I won't tell you the end. <laughs> if you're going to go and see it. Um, Mel Gibson is the male hero, and there's a very cute female chicken named Ginger who inspires him to anyway, do flight training for all those chickens. But inwardly, it's good to sort of offer one's whole life to the truth or to however we see this sacred path, even in the world, and not to make a distinction, to keep our vast aspiration as we leave here. As uh, one of the old Tibetan yogis said, to savor that most sublime of foods, the exquisite taste of meditation is really the way to deepen our practice. Another one of our teachers said that getting lost in your ordinary thoughts is like drinking the sewage of a whole city. So <laughs> remembering to keep that, <laughs> keep that mental meta going. <laughs> As one of the yogis said in a, an interview, that's always good to remember that we are more than the sum total of our experiences. And we are even somewhat mysteriously more than the sum total of what we're experiencing at any moment. And yet whatever it is that's more is something kind of ineffable and ungraspable. So who or what is it that looks out through your eyes? Can we all make friends with that? 
in all the positions and contortions that it takes. So we're not here forever at IMS, or we're not here anywhere forever. We can't carry one day into the next. And so it's good to just let go of what's past and be with what's present at all times. Kensi Rinpoche said, one day the vulture of your mind will stop feeding on the carcass of your body and soar up into the sky. Are you ready for that day? Or when that day comes, will you be ready? It's a little time now for questions. We haven't written any, but there are uh, some. Wisdom Publications, which has a website, wisdompubs.com or org, I can't remember. And I think Snow Lion has some. There's some about, you know, sort of the, when the Buddha was an animal and people being kind of kind to one another and really nice kind of things like that. So you might check that out. Yeah, also, you can ask questions to any of us. We're kind of... What lottery? <laughs> oh, oh, right. <laughs> Well, generally, I think it's a very nice way to begin an hour or an hour, five minutes of practice, however long at the beginning to sort of um, open the heart in a loving way to oneself and others, however you want to do it, whether with phrases or kind of in a more general way, and then um, begin the insight practice. But there may be other, do you think, do you have other thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, I think well-used way, you know, it's a wonderful way to begin a sitting is doing a little bit of metta. Uh, many people, either in addition to that or instead of that, do a little metta at the end of a sitting of, of awareness practice because uh, it's a way of forming a bridge between our inner work and the outer world. Um, and a lot really depends on what's inspiring you, I think. You know, there were periods in my practice and where I was so intrigued by metta practice that I said, okay, that's going to be my daily practice. And I just did that. 
Um, nowadays, that's not really the case. You know, my practice is much more an awareness practice in a formal practice sense, but I try to use metta, as I said to one of the groups, I try to use metta in a lot of informal situations in a very uh, dedicated way, like in the grocery store, <laughs> standing online, um, walking down the streets of New York City, uh, on an airplane. There are lots of places, lots of times where I just try to bring it um, into my day. And it's good not to automatically think that it's less when you're in the grocery store than when you're on the mat, you know. Well, I mean, uh, that, thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that the, you know, the inner process is really forming the intention, which is courageous. You know, it's like what Lita said, you know, to speak out, to, um, to take an action. It takes a lot of courage to form that intention. And in terms of determining what the most skillful way do that is, you know, that's really a question of wisdom or insight, and that, I think that insight comes from many, many places, you know, um, uh, we may not be educated about the various um, avenues of expression that are available and are imperative, perhaps, and we need to get educated, um, so that could be part of somebody's means really um, mostly comes down to awareness and awareness is something that needs to be expanded and can be expanded in a lot of different ways. We're all learning too. I mean, it's kind of experimental, I think, 
and just recognizing that, that like you try something and it maybe feels like it wasn't right, but your intention was kind of there and the whole thing kind of is an educational. There's a great need for love and truth in the outer world and in the political arena these days, so. It does, it does. And maybe experimenting with, like, saying the word no in a loving way, because I think that that can be sort of, like, may, the, may all the people with bad habits stop their bad habits. Like, stopping isn't necessarily contradictory to metta. Like, these, may these things come to an end, cease and fade away. May disease and illness fade and go away. Like, some of the, you know, some of the metta part really is about, you know, and I think that we've, it's so much harder often to say no, but that clarity or that authenticity is often a real gift, especially if it comes in a loving way with a sort of, you know, considered, um, like, how can the person actually hear it and how can, you know, how will this action be effective rather than seeming angry? Like, sometimes you do have to think about the perception into which it's entering sort of in order that it will be workable. But I think... Um, Yeah, it's a contribution. it holds and where it 
manifests and all kinds of things like that. Um, and I think it's an expression of metta to ourselves to be aligned with what's true, uh, what kind of livelihood is true for us. You know, often we've chosen livelihood for various reasons that may not have been inspired by metta, it may have been inspired by fear, or the need to make money, or all kinds of things. And, so, you know, going back to the last issue around stopping and practicing metta, most things we do in life is, has a mixed motive. And so uh, at the same time being really clear with our actions, at the same time acknowledging we live in a very complex world with a complex psyche and um, whatever we do may not be entirely pure, but we're moving and aligning our lives and our intention and our practice towards more heartfulness, more connectedness and hopefully our lives will be an expression of that. Did everybody hear what she said? Wow, I think it almost should come back. But um, she said that she'd been involved in political action since the Vietnam War and that the practice of metta, loving kindness, and insight awareness has really transformed her political activity, both in um, offering loving kindness to all sides and understanding her own attachment to views and opinions that when she participates in political action, from a place of wisdom and loving kindness that the possibilities for dialogue and a constructive outcome are enhanced 100%. Did I leave out anything important?
I think sometimes feeling a sense of kind of trust and settling into um, I can only do what I can do and even being able to receive the love of other people can be helpful with that, sort of feeling like we have to do it all and that um, maybe if you have an off moment that um, those people will still care for you, um, at least on the meta level, helps me to sort of release if I have things that I do imperfectly or things that I leave undone. Um, Mark talked a little bit about actually making a commitment to be less busy. And I think a lot of people work with that stuff around, especially around Christmas present giving, to sort of try to simplify it a little bit and hope that it, it'll be okay for everybody. If it's not joyous, giving isn't joyous and it becomes a cause of resentment, then it's often better to abstain from one's action. Well, metta is, it, it's a conceptual practice. Um, and, but in Buddhism, the heart-mind, the word mind is the heart-mind, it means. So the, and in fact, Saira Upandita gave a long talk about how there's a tiny little pit inside the heart where a very pure part of your blood circulates, and that's where your mind resides. And so that when we're thinking of the mind in the sense, it's kind of the mind from here. And that may be helpful. Some teachers do uh, talk about having light in your chest or like uh, imagining warmth emanating from that area and you can um, work with that if you like like as a you know sort of in a sort of non-verbal way yourself imagining sort of the sense of love um, going to people I think might be worthwhile anybody else want to speak to that one Right. Did you hear that? So that openness dimension, um, the fourth dimension. <laughs> what? The fourth dimension, the open, the kind of openness that comes into the mind with practice that you can sense, but it's actually never really lost. It's just kind of covered over.
letting the other into one's heart, um, really receiving and embracing each being um, really can happen in a wordless way. (laughs) You mean like the fat Buddha of China? I don't think so. He was supposed to be gorgeous, so <laughs> I don't know, but but uh, gorgeous. Well, no, but um, in the I mean, he was sort of this handsome prince, and he was quite ascetic. You know, I think in in his time there was no uh, eating dinner, and the monks' rules were like that. I mean, maybe he was brought to so many banquets that he actually did, um, you know, sort of gorge himself at noon. But I don't think so because he wasn't, you know. <laughs> He, there, his recommendations were that um, at every meal you should have like half the belly with solid, one quarter with liquid, and one quarter should be space. And eating only two meals a day under that regime, I don't think that you would end up with a belly. So by, in, by however, the, um, the sort of roly-poly Buddhas of um, sort of East Asia and Tibet are also uh, revered just as showing another sense of abundance of uh, blessing that the Buddha has and contains and sort of a kind of a happiness and a capacity to revel in life without attachment and to bless others and the sort of the sense of of kindness from a large body, you know. So And, you know, they often show the big Buddhas in China with a lot of little children kind of crawling all over him. So the Buddha can have any kind of uh, physical form, a female form, or, you know, it's sort of... I was thinking about um, how the mind can't really be grasped or held down or, you know, viciously told what to do, like, stop doing right this minute what you're doing, you know, but it sort of can... It it does allow itself to be trained and inclined and sort of, over time, it kind of can morph into the Buddha mind by the application of these many many moments of our attention and our care and our insight and stuff like that. So whatever ultimate form um, your Buddhahood may take, it'll look exactly like you. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah. (laughs) I think there was some Zen story about like a little girl asking the Buddha, asking, you know, how old is the Buddha? And and the teacher answering, well, just about four years old, just as old as you. So... (laughs) Yeah. I know I have access, you know, from 
pushing people away, you know, I wouldn't say I'm being method, no, but you know, I'm making it um, accessible. I, try it. I think it's yeah. great. There's so much, um, you know, sort of pointless self-hatred that goes into um, the way people treat their bodies always. And, you know, gyms are one of the best places to observe it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, training to become something else before you've been able to accept what you are and sort of constantly sort of making these efforts that do end up sometimes with injury. Um, so I think if it's, there has been some uh, training in schools with awareness of mental states and stuff like that. A friend of mine, um, colleague on the West Coast, wrote a book called Wide Awake. It's a book, Buddhist book for teens. Wonderful book. And um, there's also some good research happening about the effect of meditation in teens. And it's actually happening quite a lot in schools and thoroughly recommend it. What's the book, Wide Awake? Wide, Wide Awake. awake. By Diana Winston. Religion, sure, especially nowadays. She was saying that um, she recommended the book Blue Jean Buddha and also said that having worked in schools, it's good to um, say that you're teaching stress management rather than Buddhism or meditation because of just to not um, activate certain fears or whatever. I think both those books and more are available in the yoga room in, in the Chicago group. Adjourn. Adjourn. Um, why don't we sit together... some kind of confinement that we are generating energy. It's a very, very positive energy and that's called merit. And it's believed that the energy of merit can transcend time and space, <clears throat> transcends the limitations of this body. If uh, somebody dies, for example, in a Buddhist country, um, the family will immediately try to do a good deed and dedicate the merit to the person who has died because it's believed very strongly that that's the, the link um, that is most powerful after somebody has died is our own good-heartedness and that it not only helps us, it helps them, that energy. And ultimately, of course, we dedicate the merit of our good actions to all beings everywhere so that they may suffering so that they may be happy and sitting a retreat is considered uh, an act of very great merit even if you feel you had a really crummy time 
you know, even if you feel you didn't concentrate, you weren't any good at it, um, it's the intention, it's that inclining of the mind toward goodness. That's what the, the energy comes from. So the fact that you came here, the fact that you tried, the fact that you tried again after your mind wandered, that's the source of, of all of that merit. And so uh, just to end this retreat, by first feeling that, feeling your body fill with the acknowledgement of the work that you've done, the choice you made to be here, the fact that you tried the energy of that, which is really beautiful. And you can literally dedicate that to those who helped you be here. May the merit of my action be shared with these people so that they may be happy, they may be peaceful, be free. And certainly if somebody in your life has died, to include them. those that you know who are in need. And all beings everywhere. May the merit of my action, this retreat, and meditation be shared by all beings everywhere to the end of suffering. So without holding anything back, unstintingly, an offer. Thank you all. May you be happy, peaceful, safe, free, <laughs> and all those good things. And we'll see you again sometime.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.